Hebrews chapter 11, we finish off with Brother Abraham here tonight. We're looking at some things going on in the area of testing. If you were up on Facebook and saw the, the note we had there. Hebrews 11 verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. So it says that basically the, the Greek wording is more like this. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. That's how it really will, will say. The, um, the part of being tested is after that. So by faith, Abraham offered up, offered up Isaac when he was tested. And the testing is definitely in there. And so we did some fun little study on this word for test, which means to try to put the test, to tempt, or to entice to sin. Now we're going to be not going through all of the verses, but we will be coming covering quite a few of them. Rick Renner has this, this note about this word. It is a test to reveal the quality of a material or substance. And this word would be used if you're trying to test out how, how good a material is. An example that he uses in that is metal. You heat up metal to find the defects in it. And you know, those defects are not revealed until the heat is applied. And so until that test comes in, the defects in our faith are not revealed. There's another place where, and, and we know this test is by God. This is not a test that Satan is, is authoring. This is not a test anyone else is putting up on Abraham. This is one that comes directly from God. Because it is God who told him, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Now, the devil was not involved with that. No other people were involved with that. He didn't even tell anybody what he was doing. It just came from him, uh, to him from God. So there's another place in John chapter 6 where we're going to see this. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, I don't always get to hear Philip being pulled out of the crowd here, but he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves, two small fish, but what are they among so many? So when Jesus poses this question, his intention is to test them. Because he already knows what he's going to do. But knowing what he's going to do, he says, let's see what, see what Philip would do. Philip, how shall we do this? And if the question is indeed, where, where shall we go to buy bread? His immediate attention is drawn to the amount of money that it would be required. And that may be all that they had on hand. I'm, I'm sure they don't carry the entire, uh, entirety of all their money with them. They probably have some of it stored somewhere, but maybe they had 200 denarii with them. And that's what they had for, for that, because that's the number, that's the sum he brings up. So he might be saying, if we take all the money that we have and use it to buy bread someplace, uh, what is that going to be among all these people? Because it's quite a crowd. It's a multitude. See, he's testing their faith. Jesus does not satisfy this need through natural means. He goes to supernatural means. And he was testing them to get them to that, that spot. But they didn't accept that. They were always looking through natural means. Where can we go to buy the bread? 
How much money do we have to buy the bread? How can we supply this with what we have in here? And so it didn't, um, it didn't wink. Now, now, Jesus already knew that their faith wasn't going to be to a place where they would be able to go this direction. So most of the time that God tests us, it's not that he doesn't know where our faith is, but he sure wants us to know where it is. So this is another time that God sent a test, and certainly the enemy was not involved with this. Other people were not involved with this. Jesus himself was testing his disciples. And specifically here, he's testing Philip. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now this word is the same word being used that we saw in the other two verses, the other two places, Hebrews and John. That here, the devil was going to test them. He's going to see what he's made of. In Matthew chapter 16, 1, we have men testing him. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. So we have men that test him. We have the devil that tests him. And then God came along and tested Abraham. And Jesus put a test on Philip. Here's another one, Matthew 22, 16. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? So again, we see this word being used here with men testing Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 9, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. That's Ananias and Sapphira. That they had agreed together to test the Lord. Now, I'm sure they didn't look at it that way. But when you bring this kind of a thing before God, you're, you're testing it. Let's see if we can put this over on God. Let's see if we can, um, if we, if we can, we can do this. Let's try and, um, they probably just saw it as they're trying to, to snow some of the people that were there. They're trying to fake them out. But, uh, Peter didn't see it that way. He says, no, I'm trying to do this to God. And they fell dead. Acts chapter 16, verse 7. And after they had come to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. That word, they tried to go into Bithynia, is the same word. In other words, they made an attempt to go in out that direction. They were, I guess, basically testing out to see whether this was a worthwhile place to go. And it came up that it was not. That God said not to. Now, we don't know if it was because they wouldn't accept the gospel. We don't know if it was because there was a trap awaiting them there. Don't know what it was. But for some reason, the Spirit of God said, don't go, and they didn't push it. They said, all right, we will pull back from that. We'll go into a different direction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now let a, nor let us commit sexual morality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. So if you remember the incident with the serpents, this is one in which Paul is saying, they tempted Christ. 
nor complain as some of them are also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, or just a few, few verses down, no temptation. Yeah, I, I put that in there as the right one. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He will not allow you to be tempted or he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are what you are able. Now we can sometimes put ourselves in a position where we are going beyond what we are able but God's not going to do it as far as he's concerned. So if God sends a test our way it's going to be one that we're able to do. So even though Philip failed the test it was one that he could have done. It was one he could have passed. But God will put us through some, some tests to see where we're at, to get us to go into another level. But he won't, they're not there to break us. Now the enemy wants to break you. And we're going to show you some things so you can know, is this test from God or is this test from Satan? But that certainly is one right there. The devil wants to break you. God doesn't want to break you. He's not out to try and do that. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. He says, examine yourselves. That word there, examine, is our same word. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the, in the faith. And then he says, test, which is a different word. So examine yourselves as whether you are in the faith. You should take yourself and you should do a test on yourself to say, where am I at? As he says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Am I in the faith? And we can actually do a self-test on this to find out where we are. So he says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Then he says, test, which is to prove something that has been tested and found to be true, genuine, something authentic, reliable, and trustworthy. So he says, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. There's an examination. There's a testing that we should do for ourselves. There's a testing that God will do for us. There's a testing that the devil wants to do on us. And there's a testing that other people who do not have our best interest in mind wish to do us on us as well. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Considering yourself that you also be tempted. That's an interesting word to put there, isn't it? If a man is overtaken in any trespass, if you find somebody who is overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be... You may be compared and found that you are little less than you should be. Not because of the correction that you gave, but because your attitude in the correction. We've got to make sure we keep our attitude right. That we go in there with, a, with gentleness. First Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Both those words are from our same 
word that we're studying here. Lest by some means the tempter, the one who goes about to try and test your faith to break it, has tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Understand that's the purpose of the enemy. His purpose in testing you is to break you. God's purpose is to take you on. In Hebrews 2 and verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And that's the same word that's used. So as he was put in that place of being tested, he knows, he knows what we go through. He was tested by men. He was tested by Satan. And he came through all those. In the same way he'll help us to come on through. Hebrews 4 and verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So again, we see that, that same thing. Now in Hebrews 3 and verse 9, Where your fathers tested me, tried, the word there for tried is a different one. It means to test, to approve, allow, discern, or examine, prove or try me, and saw my works 40 years. Where your, where your father, out in the wilderness, your fathers tested me. They wanted to see what I was made of. They wanted to see, because some, some of them actually thought they were better than God was. I mean, how can you not say some of the things that they said about God and not think that you're better? Isn't that amazing that you can get to that place? That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they thought they were better than God. They thought they were better than Jesus. Now, here's a real fun one. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Okay, now that's interesting. I thought we just saw where, where God tempted them, or God tested them. That's the same word. Let no one say when he is tempted, or I'll just put the word tested in here, I am tested by God. For God cannot be tempted or tested. It's just a slight variation on the same word. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So, God does not tempt anyone with evil. When he told Abraham, take your son, your only son, up on the mountain, sacrifice him, is it evil? It can't be because God's going to do the same thing with his son. So it can't be evil to do that. Sometimes people are saying that they're being tempted by God, but the thing that is in front of them is something that is evil. And God cannot do that. He cannot make you, or, or he's not going to put in front of you a bad decision. You know, they, uh, you know when people are dating, and they see somebody comes along, and they're very attracted to this person, and they say, well, I'm going to turn this, I think God is testing me to see whether I'll, no, God does not tempt you with evil. That that man or woman was someone who was evil, was not of God, God's not going to be putting that in front of you. That's not what God does. But have you ever heard Christians say stuff like that? God is not going to tempt you with evil. There are some very unique things about the way that God would test us. There's our last verse. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. 
And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are, and are not, and have found them liars. Now here's where people tested other people and are called out as being good for it. Because they had some people who stood up and said, I'm an apostle. And so they said, all right, you want to be an apostle? Here's what the Word says that you should do. Here's what the Word says you should be. And apparently, you're not measuring up. So we're going to reject your claim as being an apostle. And the book of Revelation, they commend them. Good job. Way to go. You took those folks and you put them to the test and you found that they were wanting. I'll tell you what, some people are doing that with some people today. Because there's people out there who want to say, I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle, I'm this, I'm that. And all you got to do is take a look at what is on the, the description from God for those particular offices, for those particular things. What's, what's going on, what's God saying? So, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them to be liars. Well, let's go on here and take a look at the rest of what he has to say. As we can, we'll we'll uh, look some more into the test here in just a little bit. But in verse 17, again, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And when he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. So it calls Isaac his only begotten son. Now, it's not technically his only begotten son, but it is his only begotten son in the faith. That's the only one he's got. And so he's calling him, that's your only son. Your other son was in the flesh. This is your faith son. This is the one I promised. This is the son of promise. So the only son of promise that you got, the one that I said the promise would come through, I want you to get him. I want you to take him up on a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And so he did that. In fact, if you, if you would, go over to Genesis chapter 22. I was just going to pick out a few of these verses here, but let's go back to verse 1 and read it right, right from there. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So if there's any doubt right there, it says God tested him. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now he ought to be used to that. Go to a land that I will show you. <laughs> go to a mountain that I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkeys. And the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now hold on there for just a minute. So after God tells him this, he goes and he has a good night's sleep, wakes up in the morning. How many of you, God told you to sacrifice your son, going to bed? You'll be praying up all night. But he goes to bed. Wakes up the next day. Wakes up early the next day. How many of you would want to stay in bed as long as you could if you did go to bed? Put this thing off. Went on a couple of day journey. Gets there, mountain, and he tells the people, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Only Abraham knows what's the plan for up there. 
But he says, we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. The two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son God, my son God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now you may remember that back in one of our Good Friday services, we looked at this particular area of Scripture. And in verse 6 again, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. So Abraham carries everything else. The son carries the wood, which is the same thing with God. Jesus Christ carried the wood of the cross. That was all he took. That was all Isaac took. I don't know if he knew about that, if he planned it, if God told him to do it that way, but it sure worked out that way, didn't it? But my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now, of course, he knows we're not going to sacrifice a lamb. We're going to sacrifice a boy. Young man, whatever age he might, he might be. And um, Isaac is pretty laid back about this whole thing. It's kind of amazing to me that a young boy like that just let his dad tie him up, put him on top of the altar. I think, I think a few of them might have protested. We didn't see the whole lot of protests going out there. He's kind of a laid-back guy, it seems. Then in verse 12, and he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad. The angel of the Lord came down and said that. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now God knew it before, didn't he? I mean, if God knows your faith is going to fail, he also knows your faith is going to succeed. But if he's going to be able to offer his son for the world... Someone in the world had to offer her son, apparently. And so that's what he did here with, uh, with uh, Isaac. Abraham offered up his only son. He even called him. Your only son. Your only begotten son. Take that one. The one that you love. And go out on a, on a journey to a mountain I'm going to show you. And so these are the things that he did. He did. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Now that's a whole lot of things God had to bring together. You know, get that ram. God's leading that ram over. Come on over here to these, these thickets. Now just stick your head in there. <laughs> and the ram does it. <laughs> and, the, and the ram gets stuck. And if he was stuck before and wasn't making a racket, all of a sudden he doesn't make a racket until the identity that he's there needs to be known. But his prophetic statement, there were two that he made. One, we will come back. And the second one, God will himself provide a lamb, which is a prophetic thing of the cross. It's a prophetic statement of the cross. And God didn't provide a lamb here. He provided a ram. So they offered the ram, not a lamb. The Lamb would come later. And that would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, not every believer, or not everyone who is a believer, comes to a place in their walk where they are able to receive a test like this. In fact, Abraham wouldn't have received a test like this until he got himself to a place where his faith was able to handle it. God had to be very careful that his faith was developed 
before the sun came. So, and that's why it took so long, because his faith had to be developed, because this test was going to come upon the person that this blessing would be on. So he had to be ready. And God worked with him. He kept working with him to bring him to the place that his faith was ready. Changed his name. Did all the different things. He kept reiterating, this is the promise I have. Go out and look at the stars. Go out and look at the sand. Constantly had him putting things before his eyes that he would see. And he could build up his faith. Because we have to get him to this place where he will pass this test. We need him to pass this test. God doesn't want him to fail. He wants him to pass it. So he finally gets to the day. I think Abraham's ready. I think we can do this. That's the only thing God thinks about it. He knows. So he brings him on up here. Boy, that's important. But there's many Christians, they want to go on to another place in their, in their Christian walk. And we may know that a test is, in, is going to be there to, to pass us. Much like a test that are involved to get you from 4th grade to 5th grade and 10th grade to 11th grade and out of uh, college and into a graduate program. All the different things that can, that can come on. There's tests that are involved. If you want to advance to another level, you've got to take a test. You've got to pass a test. The whole idea of taking the test is to pass it. You don't take the test to fail it. Take the test to pass it. Some tests people pay good money to take. And they expect to pass it. We want, we want to pass it. There's a benefit for me if I pass it. Well, there's some tests only God can give. And sometimes we look at those tests in the Word and say, well, I'm ready for this. I, I want to I advance. I want to move on and, and go on for, for God in these things. But we're not even close to being ready. God says, I can't give you that test. You aren't ready for that test. Which means I'm not ready for that promotion. I'm not ready for that advancement. I'm not ready for that place in the, in the call. We've got to get ourselves to a place where we're ready. But we're not always doing the things that we need to do. Let's take a look here in verse 19. Here in verse 19, it says, concluding or accounting. I'll tell you what, I have a, I have a, new, Kings, it's a new King James that's printed and a new King James on my computer. And one had accounting and one had concluding. It's supposed to be the same translation. So yeah, this one says concluding. <laughs> So I had it that way, two different, two different ways on the two things that I usually use. I don't usually see that. Usually whatever word I see in the, my written Bible is up there on the screen too. But here was a difference. So I put it here, accounting or concluding. It's, uh, it comes from a Greek word that's an accounting term, to count or to reckon, or basically to credit to one's account. It's an accounting term in which you are counting things up. We count up the credits, we count up the debits, and we have an ending balance. And this is what you have in your, in your account. So he is doing this, in this with this word being used. Whether you see concluding or accounting. Makes no difference. Here's what the word is saying. He took on his balance sheet. And he said all the things that are pro on God's side. All the things that are in the promise. All the things that God said. And he came to the conclusion. That God was able to raise him up. Because you're going to be faced with a couple of things. If God wants you to kill this one, does that mean that another son of promise is coming? 
And so he's, he's calculating all these things. Now, he said it was through Isaac. So that means his whole way on over there, when he makes that statement, it comes from this, this time of concluding, this time of accounting, in which he is going over all this. God said this, and God said this, and God has done this, and God has promised this. So therefore, the only conclusion I can come to is that when I go up there and I sacrifice him, that God will, even if he needs to, will raise him from the dead. And up till this time, no one's been raised from the dead. That hasn't happened. Can't say that we know that God does it because no one has done it. Hasn't been written about. As far as we know, it hasn't been talked about. Raise somebody from the dead? It seems that everybody who was killed stayed dead. They didn't come back. So he's going over all this. And you know the enemy's got to be throwing this in his, in his head. You kill that boy. No one's ever come back from the dead before. Yeah, but if God is saying this, if he has to, who'll raise him from the dead? Have you ever seen somebody being raised from the dead? I have not. But if God is going to do what he said, if he has to, he'll raise him from the So he, he's going back and forth with this. But in the end, he accounts it or he concludes... That God, if he has to, will raise him from the dead. That's not the Abraham that we had before. The Abraham we had before is always looking at what's happening around him and concluding God came up short. But see, he grew. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Figurative sense for Abraham to receive him, literal sense for God. He would literally be coming back from the dead. So, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This word here, concluding. Shorter word study here on this one. In Mark chapter 11, verse 31, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? Remember when they were reasoning among these things? All right, where they're taking all the things. If we say this, this will happen. If we say this, this will happen. So the reasoning in their head, they're concluding. They're, they're counting all the, the ways this could go to figure out what it is that they should say. So they finally came out with that great answer. We don't know. And so Jesus said, I won't tell you either. Romans 2, 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God that there were actually people who had using this word because the word think there is this word do you think do you account have you come to the conclusion that you can practice the same things that you're looking at other people doing and you won't you'll escape the judgment how, how do you do that what are you mixing into your calculation? Are you thinking that you're a, a better person than they are? Are you thinking that you're more highly favored? What is it that you're bringing into your conclusion here? Do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's amazing how many people will, will come up with these kind of crazy calculations. 
Chapter 3, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So he shows all the evidence for why it's not the law that justifies us. And so he says, Therefore we conclude. We account. 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 5, Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. That word there, thinks, that's what that word is. Because your flesh... What it wants to do is it wants to account. Well, this and this and this was done to me. And this and this and this was said. So therefore, and we conclude that we can go on this side and, and act unbecomingly. Act not, not right. But it says, love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. is not provoked and it thinks. It accounts. It comes to conclusions. No evil. That's what love does. So if we come to the conclusion evil for someone because we're doing all this adding in our head about the stuff that they've done, stuff that they said, stuff we think they did. We're not walking in love. Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That word there, think, is our word. Draw your conclusions off of these things. How many times do we draw conclusions off of things that are not true, things that are not honest, things that are not just, things that are not pure, things that are not lovely, things that are not a good report, Things that have no virtue. Things that are not any kind of praise. He says, get those things out of your head. Don't think on them. Don't come to conclusions based on those things. Now think of the last time you thought of somebody in the body of Christ. And the enemy was bringing up all the bad stuff. Trying to get you to come to a conclusion. That's not what God wants you to do. That's not what Abraham did in the book of Hebrews. And he tells us about it. He concluded it because he thought on all these things. God has promised over and over. God has said through Isaac, through this guy right here. This is what God said. Look at all that God has overcome so far. Look what God has brought me to this point. I know God can keep on bringing me on. I know that he can do it. So he kept on going on. Now there's some Things we can know. And I just left blank space there for you to, to write this stuff down. But how do we know if a test is from God? How can I be sure? So I wrote some things down. First off, a test from God has no evil. There is no evil. If there is evil in that test, it is not of God. Because God doesn't doesn't bring that. He's not tempted by it. He can't bring it into his thinking. He's not going to present it before you. So if there's evil involved, it isn't God. He's not going to say, here you go. Here's something good. Here's something bad. Which one do you want to take? That's not a test from God. That's not what he did with Abraham. That's not what he did with Philip. He didn't bring any evil in there. He just said to Philip, Philip, 
What should we do here? How can, how can we feed all these people? Where can we go to buy the bread? It's testing them. So first off, no evil. Secondly, your faith will be stretched. If you're going to be involved in a test from God, your faith will be stretched. Philip's faith was, was stretched, but he didn't do so well. Abraham's faith was stretched, but he did all right. He did all right. You can even go into some other places. I mean, Gideon, was not his faith tested? You got too many people. Uh, get rid of some. Now you still got too many people. Let's get rid of some more. Let's go test your faith. Your faith will be stretched. Third, most of the tests that I can find in the Word of God have this same characteristic. There is a limited supply. When you look at the test with Philip, there was a limited supply of food. When you look at the test with Abraham, there was a little a limited supply of sons of promises. When you look at Gideon, a limited supply of soldiers to pick from. And even that was too many. Always seems to be that when God brings about a test, there is something about the supply being limited. And we're not just talking about money. Just, there just seems to be something on the supply side that is limited. Or that you are not able to, through natural means, to gain. Abraham, through natural means, had not been able to gain a son. A son of promise. That came in limited supply. So, no evil, faith stretched, limited supply. Here's the fourth one. Precious cargo. God is going to test you generally with something that you consider to be near and dear. And it doesn't mean near and dear in a bad way. Abraham loved Isaac. Was there anything wrong with that? Absolutely nothing wrong with loving Isaac at all. It's a gift from God. Just because you have a love for the thing does not mean that God wants you to sacrifice it because you loved it too much. That's, that's crazy. Could Abraham have loved Isaac anymore? I don't think he would have thought so. I think he pretty much took it to love them as much as he, as he could. God's not taking something away from you because you loved it too much. That's not the kind of test that God is trying to, to orchestrate for you. But there's a, something about the preciousness of that thing. It means something very, very much to you. Here's the next one. Unconditional obedience. In the tests that God has orchestrated in the Word of God, it seems like in every single one, there needs to be some kind of unconditional obedience. With Abraham, all right, Abraham, here's the thing. Go to a three-day journey. Go to a mountain. I'm going to show you. Go to the mountain. Sacrifice your son. Your son, your only son, the one you love. 
And Abraham just went right out and did it. Even with Gideon. You got too many people, get rid of some. He got rid of them. Still got too many people, get rid of some more. He got rid of them. All right, now, put down all the, the swords and the weapons. I want you to pick up torches. I want you to pick up drums. I want you to make no pottery. I want you to make noise. He doesn't sit there and say, well, how's that going to help us win the battle? Eh, it's not going to do it. When they came in to Jericho, there was obedience tested for all the people. And God gave them ex- clear instructions. Walk around that city one time each day. Don't talk. Be silent. Can you imagine two to four million people being silent? Hmm. That's pretty amazing. And they came out and they walked around. Last day, they walked around it seven times because that's what God said. Unconditional obedience. No evil. Your faith is stretched. Limited supply. Precious cargo. Unconditional obedience. And I just kind of put this in parentheses. Just one little notation about these tests. They are not numerous. I don't think there's anybody in the Word of God that we need more than one hand to count the times they were tested by God. And yet you listen to some Christians and it seems like God is testing them every week. I think they're confused. They haven't quite understood what is a test from God and what maybe is just a temptation. But Abraham was tested by God. And because of his obedience, the promise was able to come. The promise of the, the seed of Jesus who would come and be salvation for the, the whole world. It came because of one man's obedience. And of all the things you think that Abraham ought to be in the Hall of Fame for, that surely would be it. So Abraham concluded that God will come through on his promise even if he has to do something that he has never seen done before. Sometimes we can get ourselves to a place where we put our hope in a test that will propel us into the next level. I just know God's going to, he has a test for me and once I pass that test, he's just going to take me off into a whole other level. But we're not preparing ourselves to get there. Abraham went through a whole lot of preparation to get there. There was a lot of listening to God. There was a lot of obeying God. There was a lot of putting the things that people were saying aside. There was the parts of concluding that what God said he was able to do. There was the parts we saw about Sarah and what she was able to to do I think was just phenomenal. The agreement, coming into agreement with God. All these things were coming into place. These were all the preparations that brought him to that place of the test. You go through college and you have finals. That final test may be the thing that propels you on. But how many years have you been preparing for that final? All the courses that you took. All the things that you had to do. It's not just the test. It's the preparation to get there. 
But how many times is the enemy trying to get us to not walk in love? Because he knows I can keep you out of the preparation. You'll never get to that place where that test will come and God can promote you. If I can keep stirring up your anger, if I can keep stirring up your discouragement, if I can keep stirring you up in these other areas, you won't walk into preparation to get yourself to that place. And no one would have kept you out of the plan of God except ourselves. I don't see that any person had a whole lot of tests from God. He was very selective in them. In fact, it seems like some people lived and died and never received a single test. But is it because there was never an intention for them? Or because they never prepared themselves and put themselves in the right place? What kind of preparation are we in to get us ready? And are we focused on it the way that we should? Are we getting to that place where God can say, it's now. Now is the time for Mount Moriah. Now is the time for Abraham to take Isaac up. Let's give him the call. And Abraham answered. But he was ready. He was ready for the test. Are we getting ready? Are we still held back by the same old things? The same people can pull us into the flesh. The same obstacles can discourage us from going on. Satisfied with the same answers in the Word of God? Same kind of a prayer life? We're not pushing on to anything new. But if we can get out of that, Get ourselves going. Father God, prepare me. I want every day to be listening to you. What kind of preparation am I in? What are you taking me to? And every day I want to listen. And the voice of God may come and tell us people to minister minister to, things to say. May wake us up at night because he needs someone to pray. He may stir us to help somebody financially or with encouraging words or move us into the gifts of the Spirit at a particular time, maybe even outside of church. These are all preparations. These are all getting us ready. We've got to make sure we say yes to all those things He does. Well, Father, You have places that You want to take us. I thank you for that. You have plans for our life. We may walk around and confess that your plans are good plans. But we also have to realize that you are preparing us to get us ready for those events in our life that will launch us into the next phase, into the next place. And we need to be ready. We want to focus on being prepared, being made ready. And we thank you for all the help that you send us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you technically had no blanks at all today.
I just had to write some things in there at the end. Any comments, comments uh, questions, yeah. or things to add? Yes. We have one from Steve King. Yeah. It seems to be, or it seems to me that killing Isaac is evil. How can that be a test from God? It's no more evil than, um, than God sent his son to be killed. So it's just, it was a sacrifice that was done. In this particular situation, God would have raised him up if he would have, if he would have died, and therefore the death wouldn't have been permanent. But um, the Word of God says, You shall do no murder. It never says, Thou shalt not kill. It's commonly mis- misunderstood. Thou shalt not kill, but it doesn't say that. It says, Thou shalt do no murder. Abraham was not murdering his son. It was a it was a command from God, and he obeyed it. And um, the whole purpose of it was so that God God could send His Son to be the sacrifice, and send Him to be killed. Hopefully, okay. that, see that answers this question enough. I believe so. He gave you an amen. Oh, okay. <laughs> here we go. I got one over here with uh, Miss Ethel. You said that God was very, and it appears so in the word, that God was very selective of whom he tested. Do you think if God sends the test, it's it has a greater purpose? And what I mean by that is that when you look at the selective test in the word of God they had a much greater purpose than just the person just well that would Abraham obey this there was a much greater purpose yes than that right. than, than, than for just Abraham's benefit or mm-hmm. Gideon's benefit right so to me that might be one of these where you said a test from God then you gave us that list. Oh, I see. One of mean. the things that might a be added purpose. to this might be that there's a greater purpose. A test from the God has a greater purpose. The only reason I didn't put that in the, in the list is I've heard people talk about the greater purpose of the test that they were in that was not a test from God. And we can come to a conclusion that this has a greater purpose. Um, I'll give you a, a, a case. You know, somebody. Uh, Somebody gets, uh, well, the person I was talking to before, his wife uh, lost their, lost her vision because of something the doctor had done. And so his, pur- his thing was, well, the greater purpose here was that this doctor was stopped from doing this to anyone else because apparently they've gone from state to state and had been making these same mistakes on other people. And so he saw the greater purpose as that. Well, I would say the greater purpose for God's people. Okay. If I don't know how much Abraham was able to discern about that at his time, he may have. You know, he had, you know, he and God had a lot of talks, and may, may not all be in the Word of God. Yes, but I don't know if he knew all of the purpose behind that sacrifice. He may have, but I don't know if he, if he knew it. He may just seen it as God's testing me to see if I will obey him. Did not see that as opening the door for him to send his son. But, in, but when you look back to 
that they they knew about how to go. Yeah, the promise. They saw the promise far off. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. Oh yeah, it's possible. You know? He doesn't mention it. He doesn't mention it, but they mention it in the in the scripture that they they saw this promise far off. You know, mm-hmm. we, I forget the exact scripture when we were talking about that. Let me say, phrase it this way. The reason I would probably leave that out, the reason I left it out of my list mm-hmm. is if I knew the greater purpose before the test, mm-hmm. it would change how I approached the test. Well, I'm not saying that, that they know that it's for a greater purpose. I'm thinking that God knows that it's Oh, God for knows a it. I'm just giving you a list here. How can I tell whether this oh, is a, how, how you can tell whether this is from God or whether it's not? And I don't know that all people at the time of the test will know its greater purpose. I think most times I've seen people uh, who've gone through tests similar to this, mm-hmm. it seems like they didn't know the purpose. Until, I mean, they, some, some of them did learn it, but they didn't learn the greater purpose until later. I guess I'm just thinking that since God is so selective about these, about testing, that Oh, from God? Absolutely. He, he knows the big picture. That's what I'm saying is that because he is very selective about yeah. the testing and who he tests, that I would say that it's, there's a, a huge greater purpose than, you know, just my little old thing. Oh, yeah. You know? yep. <laughs> but, but it's hard for us to see outside of our little thing. <laughs> Nobody else can hear you. It may seem trivial, but we're pretty self-centered, and you don't think much outside of your box. You you think that the tests that come are your life situations, you know, things that you encounter, and you call that basically everything a test, whether I should retire or whether I should move to this state or whether I should send my kids to this school. Those are huge tests for you in your life, and they certainly aren't for the bigger good they're not tests yeah. or decisions. Yeah, but I was going to say, I think that's where people come along and feel like they're being tested by God in these huge decisions for mm. them that they have to make. And it's, you know, God's testing me with this large life decision that I have to make. And it's not whether the people of Israel are going to be saved. It's, you know, basically, am I going to live in New Jersey versus Pennsylvania? Or am I going right. to retire now? Or, you know, whatever's large to you. Um, it's, it's huge to you, but God's much bigger. You know, he's, you, I, to me, it just seems like I would think the test from God would be something much bigger than we're more so concerned about. Does that make sense? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, Abraham sacrificing his son. To me, I mean, that's still pretty personal. I don't know that I would have seen God's people being saved down the line in my son being sacrificed. But that he probably, like you said, he had conversations with God all the time and he knew that there was something huge that was coming. There was a, a big, you know, fork in the road that he had to decide one way or the other. Yep. But like you said, 
sacrificing your son kind of to me at that point would seem evil but <laughs> yep well except that God called them tests well he called these tests right. yeah <laughs> oh well then I got you yeah that well some people call tests are not tests from God yeah Yeah, you've got to be on, on James's side. Don't be going around here saying God's testing you with this stuff because that's just evil stuff and God doesn't test you with, with evil. But James doesn't say that God doesn't test you because that would be con- contrary to the other areas of Scripture. Because God very, very much tested Abraham, very much tested Philip. He tested Christ. Yep. He was tested too. There and probably a few other places. Yep. 